I posted something recently on my Instagram because I saw this picture of myself in this indie movie I did in my early 20s. And I had said in my head, like, wow, she didn't know. Like, she didn't know that she would be here as a series regular on a show, as a working actor, being able to pay her bills. And I'm like, there is no difference between her, the younger me, there's no difference between me and anybody else trying to figure this out. There's no difference between me and actors that have a bigger career than me. And you forget that you feel like somebody else has a secret ingredient that you don't have. And that is so simply not true at all. Part inspiration, part education, the whole artist with Courtney Rue, be your best you. Welcome to The Whole Artist with Courtney Rue, conversations with artists about acting, purpose, and the journey to finding wholeness. And today's guest is Tori DeVito. You might know Tori from a little TV show on NBC called Chicago Med, where I work with her. Also, you may have seen Tori in Army Wives, The Vampire Diaries, Pretty Little Liars, and One Tree Hill. In this episode, Tori mentions her boyfriend a couple times, and at the time we recorded, it wasn't public, so we never said his name. But we're talking about David Ross, who is affectionately known as Grandpa Rossi because he was the oldest player. I think he was still in his 30s at the time, but the oldest player on the 2016 World Series winning Chicago Cubs team. And now he's the manager for the Chicago Cubs. Go Cubs! And also, Tori talks about not knowing if she's coming back to Chicago Med. Obviously, we recorded this before it was announced that she's not coming back to the show, which is really sad for fans and for her coworkers like myself. I'm really going to miss Tori, but we had a lot of fun recording this episode. We talk about what it's like to be an actor in between jobs and auditioning all the time, the insecurity and the constant rejection that comes with that, even someone with her resume. We talk about her experience with becoming a series regular for the first time, how to balance your life with a series regular schedule, her spiritual journey and her activism, and how both helped her acting career. Tori was so open and honest and vulnerable. I think you're really going to love this episode. And hi to all the Tori DeVito fans and one Chicago fans out there who were posting last week. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry it's taken so long to get out. I really wanted to have it done before I went on my vacation, but didn't quite do it. And guess what? I didn't want to work on vacation, so I didn't. But I just got back from a two and a half-ish week trip to Oregon. It was sort of a family reunion. And, you know, aside from the 111 degree temperatures in Portland and the ash falling out of the sky from a nearby fire. Um, it was a great trip. I got to spend time in nature and reunite with some of Scott's family that I hadn't seen in a really long time. And oh my God, eat so much good food, especially in Portland and in Bend and on the coast of Oregon. We watched most of Top Chef Portland before we left and we made sure we hit some of the amazing places that they talked about during the show. So fun times, but I'm so glad to be home. Stick around at the end of the episode if you're a SAG After Chicago local member. I have news for you. And now, Tori DeVito. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So you're in Cincinnati right now? I am. I'm in Cincinnati till tomorrow. And then I drive back to Chicago and then 
head to California and start the role of hiatus. Yeah, I feel like you guys all miss out on the best part of Chicago, which is our summer. I know. Well, you know what's funny? I'm actually, so I sold my house in LA. I'm only going because my sister just had a baby. So I'm going to go meet my little niece. I'm so excited. And then I go, I'm actually doing a little film in the Berkshires at the end of the month. And then I come back to Chicago and I'm kind of just going to bounce around and meet my boyfriend in a couple places where they're playing. But other than that, I'm kind of going to stay between Chicago and Michigan this summer. So that's awesome. I know. But I mean, you know, as of now, I have no contract with Med right now. So I'm officially not on the show at the moment. <laughs> so I'm still waiting to hear if I'm even coming back for season seven, which was, is it's such a weird feeling. That's crazy. It's the life of an actor, right? Like it's such a weird feeling to like, I know be in that kind of waiting game, but also like, okay, well, you know, if I move on, like what's next, I'll be excited. If it's another year, then that's great too. Like you just, you never know. Nothing is secure. <laughs> so you guys had a seven year contract, right? Or six, six, six year contract. Six. Mm -hmm. And so is everybody up for renewal? Does anybody know if they're coming back? Nope. We're going to start filming in July and you find out in what, June or something? Well, normally they tell us in June, but that's because they have a hold when we're in contract, but I'm not in contract anymore. So they have no hold on me anymore. So you could actually book something and, yes. and go off and do your own thing too. Exactly. That's crazy. I know. So weird. I was So Scott and I went out for sushi last night and we, it was the first time we had been like, in a restaurant, you know, inside, and I had a glass of wine. And then I just started crying like in public because I was like, I've had like so many really great auditions. Like, I feel like I did so great. And then just like nothing. And I was like, why do it? Well, this job is so hard sometimes. <laughs> it's so much harder than people know. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, the constant no, the constant rejection. And that's what I'm not looking forward to because I'm very well aware. It's like, I don't have delusions of grandeur, like, oh, I've just been on a show for six years. So I'm going to pop on another one. It's like, no, it may take a year or so for me to find something, you know, it's like the no's are just, they're aggressive. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and like silent no's too are, are aggressive. <laughs> yes. Especially when you feel like you killed it. Yeah, that's the hardest part because I did that all the time. And what's funny is I always feel like when I feel like I killed it is when I 100% don't get it. Don't get it. Absolutely. But when I leave thinking I bombed it, I always get it. And I don't yeah. know what that is either. That's annoying. You know what I mean? It's so annoying. <laughs> you, you just can't predict anything. What was your first series regular role that you booked? My first series regular role was when I was, I was 20. And it was a show called Beautiful People and it was on ABC Family and ABC Family, it was the first ever scripted series they ever did. So it was this, our show and Wildfire were like the two first and they came out around the same time. And they kind of split up the first season in two halves, like part 1A, part 1B. And so it made it only 16 episodes. Um, and I just was like, I remember well, when I went into that audition, it's funny. Cause like, normally, like I said, if I bombed it, I feel like I got it, but then there's only been like that role and my role on med were the two that like, I read it and I was like, nobody's meant for this, but me. And, and it's like, I didn't even think I did that great of a job. I just knew in my every fiber of my body, like I'm meant to do this role. And I felt that way so hardcore. And it was like, 
crazy. I mean, we did so many chemistry reads with playing my mom, with playing my love interest, with who's going to play my sister, the auditions. I feel like we did like 5,000 auditions for that. I was so stressed out. Oh my God. When I got it, I remember like, I went to my friend, um, her name is Jessie Balin. She's this amazing um, musician. And she was having her first show at this place called The Mint in LA. And so I was setting her up and I got the call that I was going to do my first series. So we were like there having first together. Oh and we're like, oh my God, this is crazy. And it filmed <laughs> and you're in 20. Toronto. And I'm 20. And I was like, oh my God. And it, it filmed in Toronto. And I remember the first time ever doing press, we went to New York. They flew us to New York and I'd never done press before. And I was staying at the Ritz Carlton. And I was like, and then I got paparazzi outside because they thought I was Nikki Hilton which I don't think I look really anything like Nikki Hilton yes it was so bizarre but I was like wow what an experience <laughs> you're like I'm famous <laughs> already <laughs> yes, I was like, what happened people love ABC family oh wow <laughs> yeah it was amazing it was so fun so at 20 years old you were series regular and then like between then and your next series how long was in between that you know um it's funny because up until then I had only done like little like one-liners on little shows like co-stars like maybe like a little guest star here and there and then after that it's funny because I feel like a lot of people think that to be successful it's like you have to like book these big things right and I really after that show feel like I built a really pretty good solid career off of really great recurrings because every time pilot season was not my forte really I you know all my friends um my ex uh, at the time, he just would book pilot after pilot after pilot. And I was like, why can't I book pilots? Like, what's going on? And I would, but it would be for like a recurring role or like right. a role that they didn't know if it would be a series regular or not. And so then I started doing these cool recurrings. And I realized I was like, it's so fun because sometimes when you're on a show, you almost get locked into playing the same thing every day, which yeah. is a whole level of gratefulness that's totally different. But when you get to do these amazing arcs, you get to dive into something, have a complete arc, and then you get to move on to something new. And as an actor, it's like, we love putting on different hats. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I do feel really grateful. It's like, I've done a lot of roles that I feel like were so fun to delve into. And then I just kind of, it was like a little ride. Like I kept going from like one to the next. And I tell people all the time that I think that like stability like that is what you really should aim for in this career. You know what I mean? Longevity like, and like- Longevity, yeah. stability. And like, and I feel really lucky that I was able to have that. So I did a series regular on- a show called Army Wives, like in my mid twenties. Yeah. I interviewed Wendy Davis. Did you? Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I took a class with her. She's so fun. She is so fun. Yeah. So I did like little series regulars here and there, but nothing that really lasted. I feel like the stuff that really kept me going and kept me afloat in the industry were just like really great recurring roles until mid. Yeah. And a lot of them are like teen shows, right? Like yes. <laughs> how does it feel to be totally. playing for adults? <laughs> Honestly, that was one of my goals. So it's funny because I had done One Tree Hill, which I was so grateful for because I feel like that show really kind of put me on the map. It was the first time I was doing a show that people were actually watching and it was like a crazy role. So I got to do something other than like playing the girlfriend. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I was so excited. And then I had done like 
I can't remember if I did Vampire Diaries or whatever before. Oh, but after doing, uh, so I was kind of in my mid twenties and I remember I got the call to come in and audition for Pretty Little Liars. And I was like, I don't want to. I was like, I've done ABC Family. I'm getting older. I did One Tree Hill. Everything I've done is geared toward teens. Like I want to be on an adult show. And my agent was like, yeah, but I think this is going to have some like longevity to it. I really think you should do it. And I was like kicking and screaming. I didn't want to. I was like, I don't want to be on ABC Family anymore. I love ABC Family, but I just wanted to move on. Right. And I'm so glad he convinced me to do it because that was like another role that kind of like helped push my career up a little further. Um, But then finally, like after doing Vampire Diaries and Pretty Little Liars and One Tree Hill, like when I got to the point of med, I was like, okay, seriously, guys, like I want to be an adult now. (laughs) I'm so ready to just be an adult, play in the adult space and just have fun with it. What was that audition like for Natalie Manning? You know, it's crazy because, and everybody that I talked to kind of had a similar experience. Dick Wolf um, cast off tape mm. for his series regulars, which I think is crazy. It's it, obviously he knows what he likes. Yeah. Um, I just had one audition. Um, and so I walked in and I, f- I had that feeling in my bones. I was like, I meant to play her one audition. And then I heard that they were sending my tape to NBC. And then I heard Dick was watching my tape. And then I heard I got it. And I was like, what? That's it? Like no, <laughs> no screen callbacks. No. Yeah. Like, what the heck is going on? Cause screen tests are like the bane of my existence. You know what I mean? They're terrifying, but it was something really funny about the med audition and I won't use any names, but I met this one actress who's pretty well known when I was first in LA when I was like 18, 19 years old. And she was pretty condescending and not very nice to me. And she liked one of my friends, a guy friend, and we would all hang out and she was just so like, Oh, you're so cute. And she knew I, I worked at California pizza kitchen at the time. And so I she came in like a month. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I love it. I still have my name tag. And so she walked into my work one night and was like with her girlfriends. And it was like at a mean girl. She was like, hi, hon. Like, can you seat us? And oh I was like, God. oh. And I sat her and at the Met audition, I saw her there. And she didn't even remember me because it had been uh, over 10 years. And she didn't remember me. And I remember she went in right before me. And it's not, I would never, like, I want everybody to get as many things as possible. Right. But there was something so satisfying. I was like, that is so funny. Like she was so mean to me. And then we're at the same audition and I got it. I was like, oh my God, what a full circle moment for that kid that drove to LA. Yeah. Right. Like you just never know who's gonna, well, just, I mean, in general, you should just treat everybody with kindness and respect. And how do you know that someone's not going to be like directing and producing and what I like be able to hire you. And if you're an asshole to them, like, Exactly. Well, I think that's what I learned mostly, especially coming from a lot of teen shows and a lot of my friends being on teen shows and stuff. Because when I was first in LA, it's when like, you know, the CW was really picking up with all their gossip girl shows and like the OC was on and all that kind of stuff. And I would see a lot of those people and a lot of people would just, you'd see these attitudes and egos grow. Mm -hmm. And then they'd stop putting in the work and focus more on partying. And then it's like, where are they now? Because work ethic, I think people don't realize is what's most important. I think I, I think I've seen some people that do not have natural talent in acting, but their work ethic is so insane that they have carved it out for themselves and they are working and making money and making a name for themselves. And then I see a lot of people with like insane natural talent that just don't have the work ethic and want to go out and party or whatever. And yeah. They, and so 
So anyways, it's been interesting to, cause I learned that then I was like, wow, like, where did that person go? Like that person was in so many movies at the time. Where did they go? And I'm like, ah, oh, it's better to be steady and really work at it than, you know, blow it up and then just like, whatever, I got this, you know? Do you feel like you learned that from your dad, from your, cause he was a drummer for Billy Joel? <laughs> yeah, <Same>. I do. <laughs> I, you know, it was kind of like, it's a, I learned a lot from my dad. I remember because I grew up playing violin. And so my, and then when I got into acting, when I was like 15 and my dad could see, I was kind of like teetering between music and acting. And he came into my room and he was like, I just have one piece of advice for you. He's like, don't be a jack of all trades, like pick something and try to be great at it. And I take that with a grain of salt because I am a Gemini and I am naturally a jack of all trades and I love trying something and then I'm like, okay, on to the next, on to the next. And that's fine. And I'll always be that way. But there was something to be said about actually shooting for something, like having a main goal. You can keep everything else as like hobbies and stuff, but like having that main goal and going for it. And I feel like it was a little bit intimidating because like my father eats, sleeps and drinks drums. Like I've always known when he was married to my mom or his wife now, like drums is number one. Yeah. His family's number two. <laughs> like he <laughs> loves, and I'm not like that. You know, it's the opposite for me. But um, so I've always been like, I will never be a master of my craft the way my dad is. And I'm okay with that. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I'm the same way. I like put my friends and family, my husband, my travel, like I put a lot of things before acting a lot, which probably has been a detriment to my career, but I'm like fine with where my career is. Yeah. You have to find that balance because I remember all throughout my early twenties and probably even in the beginning of my thirties, I did put acting first and I missed a lot of weddings and holidays and trips. And I was always the one that had to cancel on friends' birthdays and, you know, because I had to study or whatever, or had to travel somewhere. And I'm grateful because, you know, it got me, but then I, now that I'm like in my mid later thirties, I've realized like, oh, well, that's not exactly what to me is totally important. So I had to find that balance, you know, like, yeah. okay, now if I am going to do this project, they have to know that these dates are non-negotiable because I'm going here, you know? So you learn that though, as you go. Yeah. How do you do that with, because what's a serious regular schedule like for med? Like what's a typical day or week or month? And then how do you balance that life with that kind of schedule? So, well, actually med is like a dream. Med is not a real show because <laughs> every other real show I've been on, it's like, you have night shoots, you work till 5am on Saturday morning, and then you have to be back at 5am on Monday morning. And so I feel like we've really lived the good life on med because we're out like no later than like seven, eight o'clock at night. And now with this COVID shooting, sometimes we'd wrap anywhere from like 4.30 to 6.30 and we're never in before, I'm never in before like 6 a.m., you know, normally. And it's just like a dream. And because it is an ensemble cast, they've really learned at this point how to like chunk it up between the series regulars. Um, so that's kind of been a dream, but it's still not predictable because we get the episode schedule maybe a week before, maybe a couple days before it starts filming. So scheduling doctor's appointments and whatnot is hard. And it is 10 months of your life, Yeah, which is hard. It is hard. 
Yeah, you, it's a, you have that mixture of like, I'm so grateful for the stability, but at the same time, like being somebody who wants a family and wants kids and yeah, wants to grow that part of my life, it makes it a little challenging to find that balance. But how do you see your friends and family? And is it just like, just during hiatus, that's when I do it or? <laughs> kind of, I think that's why I come back to med even more exhausted than when I left because I pack up my hiatus so much. So it really is. I mean, in the first season of med, I was flying home to LA every other weekend, even if I was working on Friday and Monday. Wow. And I did that the whole time. And I was exhausted because I would get in at like 11 PM on Sunday and I'd have to be at work at 5 a 6 AM on Monday. And I would just be so spent. And I was like, okay, that's not sustainable. I cannot do that anymore. Um, so I'll see like if the schedule is really good and I have a long weekend or something, I'll do travel then or have people come see me, which is hard too, though, because I'm a little bit of like a introvert. And so when I have my friends come, I'm like, can you not stay more than three days? I love you so much. <laughs> I don't love having people in my space that much. I like when my friends live near me so we right. can see each other for dinner here and there. You can get for like an hour. <laughs> but when somebody's like with me 24 seven, if it's not my boyfriend or like, my mom or my sister, I'm like, ah. <laughs> you love to read. You love to meditate. I saw you the other day, like reading while waiting to get a COVID test. I'm like, oh, that's how she fits all that in. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh God, we stand in that line for like 30 minutes every morning. I was like, bring a book. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love reading. Reading is like my escapism, you know, and it also gives me ideas and like fills my head with good knowledge, not like junk. Even if it's like a beach read, I still feel like I'm doing something good for myself. Um, and it's crazy because I know that this year for everyone has been so insane. But for me, I've definitely, I've never watched more TV than I have in this last year. And what's crazy is it's like our devices are so addicting, but so is like Netflix. Do you know oh what I'm saying? Oh my God, yes. Well, because then it just plays something. It goes to the trailer and you're like, I didn't ask for that. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? <laughs> no, thank you. And so you don't even have the option of saying maybe one more episode because it just goes into it and you're it like, goes. oh, okay, I guess I'll do one more episode. And I've I've loved it. But at the same time, I've had to like really now like fight to keep up with my reading and keep up with my meditating because it's so easy while the world, now it's opening up a little bit more, but like, when it's shut down to just kind of sit there and zone out. And I feel like that is like the biggest downfall I have found in this last year. I was like, wow, I know what being a sloth actually feels like now. I, like, I didn't really fully, I felt like I'm a very effective person and I'll get things done and I'm productive. But this last year, 2020 and into 2021, I have been like totally sloth-like. I normally meditate twice a day. And sometimes I've gone like weeks without meditating. I haven't been pulling. I love pulling like Oracle cards and tarot cards. Like every day I would go like a whole month and I just wouldn't do it. I just sit and watch Netflix. And I was like, who am I right now? I didn't work out. I gained like 10 pounds over no. 2020. Well, you don't look like it. Thank so. you. That's so sweet. It's all in the middle. You know what I mean? So you can like kind of hide it, but not really. Um, Hide it with your scrubs. Like, yes, I hide it in my scrubs. I had to go up a size in my scrubs this you year, did. actually. I did. I was like, oh, 
shoot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, it's, yeah. So I'm getting back to, and it feels good. Like when I pick up a book again, I'm like, oh, this is what I love. Like not watching the circle on Netflix. Like what, <laughs> what even is the show about? Oh. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know. I'm like, what am I even watching right now? At least watch good TV. <laughs> right? Well, I got heavy into K-drama this year and that was good TV. Oh my God. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. We got heavy into cult documentaries. Ooh, my sister loves that stuff. I interviewed a cult expert on the podcast. One of the people who was, uh, her name's Dr. Yanya Lalich, and she was in um, Seduced, and she was in Heaven's Gate, and she she says she's going to be in The Vow season two, probably, because she did a lot of- I watched that. Oh, yeah. Crazy, right? Crazy. So I talked to her about how, like, actors join cults. And how susceptible we are. And it was crazy. I had an experience and I won't say any names, but I signed up for classes with this woman who posed as like a life coach slash like acting coach. Yeah. And she forged my signatures and stuff. It was just like, yeah, yeah. It was, and it was very belittling. Like she would pit people against each other. She'd be like, well, Courtney, you're nowhere near where Tori is, but that's because Tori's been with me for five years, calling people idiots. I was like, what the heck? Thank God I got out real quick. Oh, thank God. I think it's interesting. Like when you're an actor, you just want to study everything. One of our favorite things to do as actors is not just study other people, but crack ourselves open, right? I'm like, why do I do that behavior? What is that about? Let's dig deep. Let's go. So when somebody is spewing information that sounds interesting and good to us, it's like, I want to learn it, you know? And there's a part of us, I think, like if, if you start off as an actor, like we can grow, but like I was very lost in my 20s. You know what I mean? And I think there is like, this horrible stigma as a young actor that it's like, well, if I go to therapy and I get really healthy, will I be a good actor anymore? Right. That you need that brokenness or you need to be depressed or whatever. It's like bullshit. You do not at all. And I thank God I finally learned that. And, but yeah, so I think that's why we're so susceptible to like these guru things and everything that aren't real. Like not trusting your own inner voice. Thinking like someone else has all the answers. Right, right, right. Yeah, I've seen that a lot in LA. It's just, it's it's fascinating. So wait, you meditate twice a day. How long do you meditate for? Like, what is your process? So I trained, I did the transcendental training in my 20s, early 20s. And so I would do that twice a day, 20 minutes a day like that in your head mantra to get you past your thoughts. Um, And I love that. And then I really got into a lot of energy healing work. I met this energy healer named Janet Raptus, whom I adore. And she's in Atlanta and she's so, she's so magical and incredible. And so through her, I started like, I got certified doing Reiki as well. And she really taught me a lot of stuff. And I would go on these like energy healing retreats with her up in the mountains in like South or North Carolina. I can't remember which one, but, um, and it was just so incredible. And so during that time, and now I'll sometimes do more like spiritual meditation instead, um, you know, some guided meditations. Like I'm always doing different, like I just did like a goddess beautiful circle for like six weeks. And I I eat that shit up like candy. What is I love it so much. <laughs> so the goddess circle was so fun. It was by this woman, Jen Kosh. 
Um, and basically it's like every week you work with a different goddess and it's a big meditation on Monday night. And she walks you through and it's a lot of journaling and what comes up with that. And then in the mornings, there'd be like a daily meditation. And we did it for six weeks, six different goddesses. And it was so much fun. It's so funny because my boyfriend looks at me. He's like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Sky is always like, wait, what? Why are you doing tarot? Wait, what? You talk to a medium? What? It's <laughs> like, huh? I was like, yeah, well, I'm psychic too. You know that, right? He's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> um, I love all that stuff. I did a training for the Akashic Records and like learned how to read those. Oh my gosh, I eat it. Uh, I just had my first reading of that this out. year. Yeah, it was cool. That's amazing. Huh. Oh, it's I love it. Because to me, it's like, I think everything could be true or everything could not be true. And we don't know. But in the process, we, we don't know. How can you know? To say you know is the most ignorant thing, I think. So in the process, why not play? Do you know what I'm saying? And if it's not hurting anybody and I'm going out there and learning how to talk to a stick to get an answer yeah. for my life or a tree, <laughs> then so be it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I know. I So I spoke to the medium last week and I was like telling my friends, I was like, even if it's fake, I it was so healing for me and so therapeutic. Like, I don't care if it's fake. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, just take the good from everything. And it's also learning about like trusting what I find from spiritual work the most. It's like call it intuition, call what you want. Being able to tap into your own body and mind and follow that gut feeling more. It's like that is so fun. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's what I feel like I am learning to do more um, is trust my gut. Cause like when I broke my ankle, I had several warnings that I was going to fall like, and I didn't do anything different. Like I was on wet grass and flip-flops going up the slippery hill and down the slippery hill, packing up a car. And like three times I slipped and was like, and did not change my shoes. And it was like, if I would have just trusted that gut instinct to be like, Hey, go put on sneakers or like take the long way. I like, I just need to listen to my intuition more. And so that's what I've been doing, trying to do this whole pandemic and like with the tarot cards and everything like that, yeah. <laughs> you know, we know, we know what's coming. And it's always so crazy because people are like, well, why are some people psychic and some aren't? And I'm like, actually, I believe everyone is. They just suppress it. We can it. all read each other's thoughts. I think like, like, here's your soul, right? Like a, like a beautiful circle of light. And, and then if you think about like the human consciousness or the human ego, almost being like plaque that builds up. And some people just have like more tartar around their soul. And some people have chipped away at it more. They don't go to the dentist enough. They don't go to that spiritual dentist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a matter of just chipping away at that plaque. You know what I mean? And we all know, we know it's in there somewhere. Totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Is your family super spiritual or how did you get into all this? Um, not really. My dad, I think, thinks I'm a tad bit crazy, which I'm fine with. Um, so do my sisters, and that's totally okay too. Um, my mom, uh, I actually grew up going to a Baptist church. Um, uh, my mom grew up super religious. Um, not like uh my mom, I always say she's very progressive religious. You know what I mean? Like she's very like she is a pro LGBTQ, you know, supporter and she's pro-choice. She's very progressive in her views, but she also has a foundation of Christianity. And I, it's funny because I grew up in that arena and I always questioned everything. And I think it drove my mom and a lot of people crazy because it was just like, well, you just got to believe, you just got to believe. And I'd be like, 
Hmm. Um, hmm. Wait, what? I don't, I don't know. And I just found a lot of things about religion that didn't totally resonate with me as far as, you know, things surrounding war and women's rights and being gay. And so I kind of like took a left turn. I kind of started exploring things on my own and I wanted to learn more about other religions. And I was like reading stuff about Buddhism and reading things about like spirituality. And I realized everybody is like so desperately trying to speak the same language, but we can't understand each other. So everybody defines things the way they're going to define everything and nothing is wrong. Nothing is right. It's all just is what it is. And so I just was like, just being a good person, trying to just realize we're all part, one of the same thing. Everybody's equally as special and equally as unspecial. Nobody is better than anybody else. Just loving everybody and remembering that that ball of light in each of our chests are all connected and the same. Everybody has that same ball of light. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of just like came to my own conclusion of it, you know, and, and I love it. Like if my mom wants me to go to church with her, I'll go to church with her. My friends want me to go. Sure. You want me to go to temple with you? Awesome. You want me to go to this shrine with you? Awesome. I'm in for all of it. You know what I mean? As long as it's not harmful, I'm in for it. Well, and it's so funny that people can just be so like all in for um, like Jesus turning water into wine, you know, Moses walking on water or whatever, but they're like, wait, you picked a tarot card and you, (laughs) (laughs) you know, what's so crazy. And my mom will probably be like, I can't believe you told it. So my mom had this just because of how she grew up. She's like, oh my God, tarot cards are from the devil. How could you be reading those? And I was like, mom, (laughs) nothing in these cards ever tell you like you're dying or anything like that. It's not, it's just like a, a guide. And so I was like, just let me just pick one. So she let me pick one and of all, it was a goddess deck and guess what my mom picked mother Mary. And I was like, oh if that is not a sign because her name is Mary and she's very religious. And I was yeah. like, there you go, mom. Mother Mary is telling you that your daughter is not being led by the devil. Okay? Yes. I love it. <laughs> it was so perfect. My dad let me read him the other day. Oh, I think it was like over, over Christmas. And, you know, he's super skeptical about everything. And, um, but it was like spot on. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> he's like, I am self-conscious about that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I love it so much. It's so fun playing with that stuff. You know what I mean? I just love it. I love it. What has been the hardest part about being an actor? Even though like someone looking at your career would be like, oh my God, she's so successful. She works all the time. It's probably been super easy for her. Like her dad was famous. And I know that that is not true for you all the (laughs) time, right? Are you always confident? Are you, do you always feel like you're going to book the job? (laughs) Good God, no. Uh, It's that is so there's a couple aspects of the hardest part of this industry because it it's just hard. You know, the whole thing, anytime people ask me for advice, like, how do you feel? Like, what should I do to get into it? They always think I have this secret ingredient that I can give them that will help them become an actor. And all I can ever say is work hard at your craft, grow a thick skin and don't let the nose deter you. There's nothing else I can give you because it's like, I truly believe like you just have to keep working at it. It's crazy. When I moved to LA, I was so naive. I was like, I remember saying goodbye to my best friend in Florida. She hugged me the night before and we were crying. And I was like, don't worry, I'm going to be in LA for a year. I'm going to set up my career. And then I can come back home and just live from Florida. Oh my (laughs) God. Like I couldn't book 
anything. Every casting director told my manager, like, she's very green. She's very green. You know, growing up in Orlando, there's a certain cap you can reach as far as, you know, really diving into yeah. how, how you know how to act, learning how to act and, you know, just lessons and stuff. And my manager, thank God, um, actually who I signed with when I was 17, and I'm still with today, oh, wow. which is crazy. It's almost been 20 years. Um, he hooked me up with this, uh, acting coach, Michael Wilson in LA. And I totally, I don't work with Michael anymore currently just cause I'm not in LA and you know, whatever. I am so thank God he came into my life because he really took me from just like surface acting into being able to actually dig in deep. And had I not met him and had I not learned, cause I didn't know how to work on a scene. Really. I would read the lines and I felt like I had a bit of like natural talent of being able to say the scene naturally, but I didn't know how to actually go in and make it real and like filled with the emotion it needed and all the things the thing I love about acting the most is that the lines on the page, like even when you're talking to a lot of people, there's so much going on beyond those lines. You know, sometimes you're saying something, but you're really trying to get something else, or there's just like, you're thinking things and not saying them, but you're saying the line, but also thinking something totally different. And he taught me how to do that. And because of him, I truly believe I'm a working actor. I don't know if I, I don't think I would have gotten there without him or by myself, truly. He taught me something. And I just think like, honestly, after I did my first series, I thought, okay, here we go. And it's just like, no, there's so many standstills. You know, there's so much anxiety. There's so much putting so much love into so many auditions and getting told no and no and no and no and not understanding why you're like what was it what could I have done more and a lot of times you don't get feedback or if you do it's not the total truth or if you do it's really harsh and you'll think oh god how can I keep going after that they think I suck yeah <laughs> or like I, stuff you can't control like I remember getting feedback being like she's not hot enough for that tv show like that was forwarded to me and I was like well why would you do that why would you <laughs> yeah, send that to me I didn't want that <laughs> I know I know it's so I've been told like she smiles too much or like you know and I noticed actually my boyfriend just asked me he's like how can we take a picture you never show you never smile I always go like this and I was like oh my god I got told when I was in my early 20s I smiled too much and I don't smile in photos anymore oh and I was god. like oh yeah that's so horrible that's so, so sad I, like, I know so I try to show my teeth now more and more in photos and it looks so weird I'm like ah. <laughs> but you just get like you know and for me as an actor what I realized um the higher the expectation walking into the room, the worse I did. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a hard one for me to get over because if I walked in a room and a casting director would be like, oh, I saw you in this part, you were awesome. I was like, in my head, I was like, now I'm going to fucking bomb. It's over for me. It's over because you just made it me feel like you expect me to be good and now I'm going to do bad. And so oh my god. You have to also like be a master of your own mind in these auditions cuz you have to somehow get over yourself and over your fears to be able to bring to the role what you want to bring. And that's always been the hardest part for me because I am not a great performer in a sense where I've always been very aware of eyes watching me, which as an actor is very detrimental and gets you in your head. And whenever I start hearing myself talking rather than being in, in the scene that I'm in, I know it's going to shit. 
basically. And, and I have always had a hard time getting beyond myself. It's really hurt me. And I've always been like, the more people, if I know someone in a casting group, oh my God, there's been so many times where I would get to the audition and I realized like I'm reading opposite somebody I know socially, but not know well. I'm like, I'm going to bomb it. I'm going to bomb it because there's that expectation again. It's somebody I know. So I have more to prove. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to bomb. It's like performing in front of your peers. is yes. harder to do that. Yes. Yeah. I actually went in for this role. That was a role on the CW. It was a show. It was called Summer or something. I don't remember. But anyway, I went in there and the, the director was like, look, this part is yours. I actually don't have anybody else coming into the auditions because I just wanted you for this role. So we just need to put something on tape just to show them. I bombed it so bad. I didn't even get a role that was written for me. Oh no. Because I was like, expectation expectation you just killed me oh my god and I bombed it so bad so badly do you feel like you're still that way or has your mindset grown into where you can avoid that (laughs) honestly it goes in and out still and that's the thing that I think people don't understand it's like I posted something recently on my Instagram because I saw this picture of myself in this indie movie I did in my early 20s. And I had said in my head, like, wow, she didn't know. Like, she didn't know that she would be here as a series regular on a show, as a working actor, being able to pay her bills. And I'm like, there is no difference between her, the younger me, there's no difference between me and anybody else trying to figure this out. There's no difference between me and actors that have a bigger career than me. And you forget that you feel like somebody else has a secret ingredient that you don't have. And that is so simply not true at all, at all. Everybody is equal in this. And it's like, everybody is just as insecure too. And that's what I've learned from working with really great actors as well. You know, actors who are like, have been doing this for longer than me that I'll see trip up on things. And I was like, oh my God, that still happens to you. Cause that happens to me all the time. When I booked med, because it was the first time I felt like I was on an adult network in an adult show working with really great actors, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I was like scared shitless. I went home probably all of season one crying at least four times a week. I was like, I'm a fraud. I'm not meant to be here. I'm not good enough to be here. I remember Dick Wolf, after our first table read, pulled me aside and he's like, you know, I really want her to be like a strong character. And my face just went white because I was like he's saying that because I'm not playing her like that oh my god he's gonna fire me I suck I suck and I got so in my head I was like no yeah no 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 no." (laughs) so it's like you know I'm sure people watching the show or seeing my Instagram and stuff don't think that that still happens but totally it's still because that's how I felt the first few seasons of med and I'm just a recurring like (laughs) co-star like and I'm like oh my god I'm gonna be fired after every episode luckily I don't feel that way anymore but yeah it's totally terrifying and I feel like that's something that I try to to teach people or like when I'm coaching someone is like you're not alone in feeling this way and everybody even Tom Hanks at some point feels like I'm really not enough and I'm a fraud. Exactly. I, I, I there's some scenes like, and every time I have an emotional scene, you know, I, I always come through for myself. Thank God. I mean, some, especially in my twenties, oh my God, there were some, I remember I booked this short film and it was just the way it was set up for me. wasn't great. I was meant to come into this room, smile, be happy. And then I was about to turn the corner, count to five and then come out sobbing. And my tools were definitely not strong enough to be able to do that. And I don't even know if I could do that. That's a lot to put on 
And I bombed it so bad that I heard like even crew snickering. And then when I heard that, I was just like, oh my God, this is over for me. I want out. Like, I just want to get out of here. Like I couldn't do it. Um, but every time I get like a heavy emotional scene or a scene that I love that I know I want to do well at, I get so nervous the night before still. I'm like, will I pull through? There is no guarantee. Will my emotions show up? Will I be able to yeah, pull it up today? Totally. <laughs> do you have any little tricks that you do for that? Um, yeah, I just have to go to like the depths of despair. <laughs> you know, I have to think of the worst case scenario. And I do have a couple worst case scenarios that always work for me. Um, you know, lately actually, which is crazy. Cause I remember reading an article that Mickey Rourke would put during the wrestler, like put pictures of his chihuahuas that passed away around the camera when he had to do emotional scenes. And I was like, really? you like, I love dogs, but I don't know. I recently lost my dog Aww. and the, honestly, the last three episodes of med, any emotional scene you see that will air was all me looking at a picture of my dog right before. Really? I'm not even kidding you. I was oh like, Mickey Mark, I get you. <laughs> I just told you the other day, I was like, oh my God, your scene was so great when you were like crying about, it was your mom or so like, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. God. Thank you. Well, thank you, Twigs. Um, <laughs> Rest in peace, Twigs. Rest in peace, Twigs. So yeah, no, it's, um, I think that's the one thing that I, I just try to drive into everybody. It's like, you never get past that feeling of insecurity. Like I, I'm always around people. And the, the one thing I used to do that I try really hard not to do now, and sometimes I'll catch myself is looking everywhere else for validation, looking to the other actors in the scene to think like, do they think I'm doing a good job or looking to the director? Like, was that okay? And it's like, as an actor, you really like, I, I admire so much the actors that can just go in and have confidence. And they're like, no, I know I'm great. And if you don't want me here, I'll go somewhere else. It's like, Ooh, I've never, I've never gotten there. I've never gotten there. I'm always like, please love me. Do you love me? Do you think I'm good? <laughs> I need approval. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, those actors that just know that they got it, they come in with such interesting choices because there's no fear there. It's like, let's play. You know what I mean? And I love that because it is supposed to be about play. The industry screws that up for us, right? It's like- Right, right. So yeah, that, yeah, that stuff never goes away. It never, ever, ever goes away. And it's so funny because like you always get comments too, right? Like um, people always expect more. It's like, well, you've already done that now. Like, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do more film? When are you going to be on HBO? When are you going to- Right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like when I was on ABC Family, it's like, well, when are you going to do like a network thing? And now that I'm on networks, like, oh, when are you going to do like a really cool movie? I'm like, okay, let me get on that. As if I haven't been on that for the last 20 years. Right. Exactly. I love when people are like, when are you going to get more lines on Matt? And it's like, right. <laughs> when they write like, them. Let me write me. them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know it's, it's so hard because like everything in this career is like so under a microscope and even like with your family, they don't mean to No, Yeah, but it is. Everybody has their own like preconceived notions about like what this industry is and what you should be doing and how you should be doing it. And then it just gets like, and especially now with social media, like getting to see real time comments. I don't think the good or the bad is, is healthy for anyone to read. 
I, I do see a positive trend though, in that, like when I'm on like athleta.com, there are plus size models and there are people who look like me, like a size four. And then there's, there's a lot more representation when it comes to disabled people and like, that, you know, just the, the size zero white blonde woman is not like the standard anymore. And that we can like actually have commercials with real looking people in it. Cause I find that it's helped my own confidence in my body just from stuff like that to be like, Oh, that's what those jeans look like on a size for a person. Okay, great. Like, absolutely. And I feel like it's only going to get hopefully better. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. It's like the whole, like, fake and you know wayfish look it's like listen some people are naturally that thin and good for them like that's beautiful but some people aren't and that's beautiful too it's like normalizing everything that's why I like as stupid as it sounds I think because I have such a young following from all the teen shot stuff I did especially now that it's playing again on Netflix and like a whole new generation of young kids are watching it I do feel an obligation to be as real as possible on my and I don't use I'll use like sometimes color filters to make something look interesting, but I don't touch up my face. I don't do face to, I don't Photoshop any of my pictures because I'm like, it's important to show realism, you know, like, because a lot of kids are seeing things and having these unrealistic expectations of what they should look like. I, if I'm on Instagram too long, I get that. But I try to tell people too, like coming up, I'm like, don't read the good stuff either. It's really sweet. And I love, connecting with people and stuff but at the same time like that it's not real it's not real and if you start depending on the good stuff then if there's a day that the good stuff doesn't show up you're going to feel very lost and you don't want to be leaning on that either you know what I mean yeah so it's like there's a lot of things that can really mess up your head in this industry in this career path and that's why that stuff like we were talking about spirituality and therapy and all that stuff is really important Whatever you have to do to ground yourself is so important because if you don't have a base, you will get eaten alive. People can be kind of cruel. You know, the viewers can be a little cruel. Casting directors can be a little cruel. Producers can be cruel. Directors can be, there's a lot of great ones. Because it's just business. It's just business. But it's like, actually, this business is so personal. It feels so personal. Yes, you're putting yourself and your emotions and your life on the line every day. You're exposing yes. it. I think that's what people don't realize too. Every emotional scene you do, every scene you do is you bringing a little piece of yourself, you know? And there's a lot of times, especially on this show where Natalie and I, our lives have gone kind of parallel and I've used a lot of myself. And at the end of the scene, I'm almost like a little embarrassed walking away because I'm like, I just totally exposed myself in such a vulnerable way. And then if somebody watches it and is like, eh, she kind of sucked in that. You're like, but that was my life. <laughs> that was me. I put my heart out on a platter for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh God. You volunteer a lot and are an advocate for so many things, hospice, PETA, the Humane Society. And I read today that you said if you were not an actor, you'd be a funeral director. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So how'd you get involved in all of these? Like what instilled your love of volunteerism and activism? I, it was actually, I was on One Tree Hill and like I said, like, I'm so grateful for that show for so many things, but I'm also grateful for that show because there was a lot of negativity on that set, a lot. And um, 
I really got very depressed by it because I was like, wait a second, I'm finally living out my dream. Why am I not happy? And I was like, you know, you're inside on set in reconditioned air all the time, not seeing the outside. There's a lot of egos involved. You know, I always joke that being on a show, everyone's like, well, you have like your team camaraderie, right? Like you're on the show. And I'm like, yeah, but being on a show, if you look at the series regulars, it's like trying to build a band where everyone wants to be the lead singer, right? <laughs> so it's like, it's like, how do you build a band like that? Nobody wants to be the basis of this show. Nobody wants to be the drummer. <laughs> everyone wants to be the lead front man. Yeah. So it can sometimes cause a lot of clashing. And there was a lot of clashing and stuff that I found on that show that was hard for me. I mean, I made some great friendships and luckily I got to work with Joy a lot on there and she was so wonderful to me and um, made a really great friend in Michaela McManus. And so I did meet a lot of good people because there was a lot of hard stuff and negativity. And I, I was feeling very negative and very down. And I was like, how do I do this? Cause I know I want to be an actor. I know this is what I want to do, but I have to get my head out of this. So I was probably like 24 years old or something. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to volunteer just to get my head out of my own ego and just like put myself somewhere else. And I thought I wanted to volunteer at like children's hospital or something. And when I put it in my Google search, hospice popped up and I actually didn't know what hospice was really. And so I clicked on it and I was reading about it and I was like, oh, this sounds so interesting. And I called the hospice near me in California and they were having a training that week, ironically. And I signed up for it and I went and I just loved it. And I volunteered, I, I trained to do inpatient care. So I would get like assigned a patient and basically go visit them one to two times a week until they passed oh my or God. go actively sit with somebody who was passing that didn't have family with them. And it was so, and it was funny because when I started doing it, a lot of my family members and friends were like, well, you're already like a little down, like being around death, like, isn't that going to make you a little morbid? And I was like, honestly, no, it was such a light for me because to me, it was like the same as being in a delivery room, giving birth, like you're helping, you're sitting with somebody as they're going to that next birthing into that next part, right? right? Transitioning being with these people, nobody, they wanted to talk. They just wanted to tell their story. You know, their life is coming to an end and they just want to share and there was so much stuff, but I'll tell you what, nobody talked about how much money they made, where they worked. They all talked about where they traveled, who they loved, who they regret that they didn't love. You know what I mean? Like things like that. And you're just like, wow, that's what's important. So hospice to me actually like brought a light into my life and got me out of my own head. And then I was able to bring that energy into work and laugh off a lot of the negativity. Cause I was like, this all doesn't matter. None of this matters. You know what I mean? So that was really cool. And then, um, from there, I had done an interview, um, on a red carpet for some young Hollywood event that I went to. I can't remember. I think it was just the young Hollywood awards or something. I don't know. And um, this guy on the red carpet asked me like, what do you do? What's your like, what do you do for charity work? And I was like, uh, and I was like, oh, I hospice volunteer. And he's like, I've never heard that from an, a young person before. And through that, he had this girl that he was working with too. And she was like, can we interview you more about this? And I was like, sure. And then she was like, have you ever reached out to like the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization? Because I'm sure they've never had a spokesperson. Would you want to do that? I'm like, uh, okay. So she got me in contact with them and was able to take that. And so just trying to raise awareness of, you know, if you're looking to volunteer, look for hospice because a lot of people don't. And so that was really fun. And I'm still, you know, I talked to them 
monthly all the time I've gone to speak at their awards I'm always the youngest person there I love it so much I'm like hello everybody um so it's just it's been such a, a cool thing that I just love doing I'm sure that's helped you with med in your role as Natalie absolutely I honestly attributed hospice work to getting Natalie because she has so much compassion and I really use that hospice work into my role with her. So I really felt like that helped me get this role for sure. That's cool. Cause you never know what, like the stuff you do outside of your acting career, how that's gonna totally come up in your acting career. Totally, totally. So yeah, that was really cool. Tell me more about the tote bags you just made. Oh, so the tote bags are with the tote project. It's actually funny. Um, my first job in LA was at Abercrombie and Fitch because they will hire anyone they hire. It's like so easy to get a job there. And I needed money. I had like five jobs at once. I was like an assistant for a plastic surgeon working at urban outfitters, working at California pizza kitchen, like all at the same time. And then I added urban outfitters and it was just like crazy. You have like a million jobs, um, when you're trying to become an actor, which is so fun. Um, anyways, I met this girl named Faye and we became friends and then we kind of lost touch uh, because I first moved to Woodland Hills when I moved to California because I didn't know anything. And then I'm realizing, oh my God, I'm driving like an hour into traffic to get to auditions every day. So once I left there, we kind of lost touch and um, you know, there was no social media. So you don't really keep in touch that way at that time. And she found me on social media recently and she is um, part founder of the Tote Project. And she had seen a lot of the work I did with young girls and sexual assault survivors. And um, she was like, would you like to design a tote with us? And the proceeds can go to Safe Bay, which is the organization I'm on the board of directors for Safe Bay. And they teach kids about consent and sexual assault and go to schools. And uh, it's amazing. I actually got to go to one of the schools with them and had my own breakout session with some kids, which has been, it was incredible. And so we created this tote together and the proceeds went to the virtual breakout session that um, the virtual summit that Safe Bay just did. And my organization that I brought to it was for sexual assault and sexual consent. The majority of the work that the tote projects do where their funds go to is for um, sex trafficking, which is really amazing. You donate, uh, if you purchase something from them, it goes to a great cause. They, they're doing so many amazing stuff. And I love the way it's made. It's all like ethically and eco-friendly um, made. So it's sustainable. It's just, it's, and the totes are actually really amazing. I was surprised at how big they are. And they have like a water bottle slot. It's a and huge like, tote. I didn't get the tote. I got the little zipper bag. The pouch. And I, the the even that. It's so cute. I keep all my I know, vitamins it's like in all it. my vitamins. Yes, yes we do. <laughs> the perfect Same. Um, yeah, that's so cool. Thank yeah, you. it's a really cute design and yeah, good quality. Quality. And it was just so much fun. And we're hoping to do more together um, working with her. But it was cool because it was like another full circle moment. I hadn't talked to her since I was like 20 years old. I was like, oh my God, this wow. is so crazy. So yeah. crazy. It's just, yeah, it is crazy sometimes how like people or things come into your life and you don't know why until like 20 years later. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh. Totally. You're like, oh, hey, there you are again. I have to say though, I love working on cash registers. There's something so gratifying to me about pressing all the buttons all day. I could work on a cash register all day. I love it. <laughs> and what's funny though about moving to LA, when I worked at Urban Outfitters, um, I used to like this movie in high school called Angus Buffoon. It was like one of those typical 90s movies with the guy who plays the Shermanator was in it. 
you know, from whatever, uh, the redhead. And anyways, it was about this kid named Angus Buffoon, um, who's not the Shermanator, it was another guy. Uh, and he was working with me at Urban Outfitters. And I remember that was the first moment that I realized like, oh shit, you could do a movie and still have to work at Urban Outfitters. And that is the realism of this business too. Just totally. because you book a movie or a series does not mean you're not going to have to go back to being that waitress that you were two months ago. Absolutely. Like, you got to put that <laughs> ego aside and do what you got to do to get money, you know, to live. And that was like, I, that hit Because everybody's got to pay their bills. Exactly. That hit me hard. I was like, Angus? Angus Buffoon? you're working here? Oh, I'm sure he loved that. I know. I didn't realize that. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Tori. Thanks, I'm sorry. This has taken forever to oh, do. Yes, it was fun. <laughs> it was really fun. You know, Tori and I talked about activism in this episode, and I want to invite you to practice activism by volunteering for SAG-AFTRA if you are a member. I volunteer because I feel like I've gotten so much from our union. I want to give back to the union and to members who are a part of the union, who are part of the collective bargaining that allow me to have the perks of being a union member. So we've got an election coming up. I am running in the Chicago local election for a national board seat. And I am running alongside many of my friends and colleagues, including Charles Andrew Gardner, who is our current president. We've got a website. It's coming soon. Be on the lookout on our social media pages for that website in the coming days. I would so appreciate your support and your vote. It's really important that we keep our locals local. If you have any questions about the election, please reach out shylocalleaders at gmail.com. That's C-H-I localleaders at gmail.com or Courtney at CourtneyRue.com. Thank you so much to Tori DeVito for being a whole artist and for coming on the Whole Artist Podcast. Thanks to Henrik Lazary for mixing and editing and to Mandy Wetzel for your help on this episode. And thank you to you for listening, for sharing on social media, for writing a review, for all the things that help spread the word about this podcast. Thank you. I hope you learned something. I hope you were inspired. And I hope you feel better than you did before you were listening. Talk to you next time. Be your best you.